Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Morning, Taylor and Jen. Kiddos, we're eating chocolate chip cookies for lunch because Mama's on cheat day. Yes. Now, as a parent, anytime you hear a scream and then a loud thunk, oh, exactly. That's always going to yeah, be your response. That's the thought. It makes you raise your head up from the bills that you're writing at the table to think what just happened. That was the sound that I heard in the basement area of my home, which is where my son lives. I heard a thunk preceded by a scream. And then all of a sudden I heard my six foot three son, 200 pounds, running up the stairs <laughs> as fast as he could, which I don't hear very often. Yeah. And he stands in the kitchen and he's just looking at me with these big old eyes. And I'm like, what is going on? There's a bug. Oh, and no, Ben does not do bugs. He is, I, I think it might even be a phobia, yeah. okay? Because he is, he's terrified at this point. There's a bug, there's a bug in the bathroom. <laughs> and I said, well, what was the thunk? Well, you know how you told me sometimes to grab a towel and just kind of thwack at him, you know, and kill no. him? I grabbed my boot instead. And he said, <laughs> threw the boot at this bug. But the... Boot bounced off the wall and it hit me in the head. Nice! (laughs) (laughs) So I just ran out of the bathroom, slammed the door, and here I am. I said, okay, so you're basically what you're saying is there's, there's still this bug down in the bathroom. And he's like, yeah, it's giant, mom. It flies. It has these long legs. It's this huge thing. Oh boy. And I'm picturing one of those really big wasps. Yeah, like like the evil wasp. So I, who is not six foot two and 200 pounds, six foot three. I venture down into his bathroom. I open the door and I take a look at this monstrosity. It was a mosquito. (laughs) Tried to throw a boot at a mosquito. Talk about a roller coaster. You know, you're terrified. The adrenaline. It's awful. You're so scared. And then you realize you've been silly scared about nothing. I was dead asleep in the middle of the night, had a horrible dream. Can't even remember what the dream was about, but it was one of those dreams that just wakes you up like instantly. Oh, yeah. I do not like those dreams. Do not like them at all. Well, when I wake up, I feel something squeezing my hand. Oh. Instantly put into shock. Yeah. Absolutely terrified. Until I realized it was my other hand. (laughs) You were holding your own hand. I suppose I was trying to comfort myself. (laughs) You feel the icy chill crawling up your spine. Your heart hammers in your chest. Your hair stands on end. Sounds like you're terrified. Well, and then you realize it was nothing. And you had no reason to be so afraid. We want to know about that. I mean, the best thing to do is just confess it. We'll I worked with you. many years ago at a radio station across the street from a graveyard. Okay. Like, literally, wow. you looked out the studio window, and there are a whole bunch of tombstones just chilling over there. <laughs> just and chilling. in this radio station across the street from a graveyard, I worked the graveyard shift. Oh, my goodness. I was on from Sunday nights from 9 to midnight, nobody around, nobody in sight, just me and the tombstones. Yeah. <laughs> That is a perfect storm. And I remember one night there was a weird electrical quirk with my headphones. 
And I kid you not, I started picking up some like low band AM radio station of like a doomsday preacher talking about the end of the world and there's going to be fire and there's going to be this and there's going to be all this scary stuff. And I'm like, okay, like this is weird, kind of creepy, but whatever. And then what really gets me is out of the corner of my eye, I just see this face drifting by the window behind me. There is a giant smile plastered on this face, and it's what? just floating. What? And my heart's hammering in my chest, and I'm like, what? Do, do I acknowledge it? Do I do, 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 do? What do I do? And I turned around, and I'm about to say, what are you doing here? And it's a balloon <laughs> with a Walmart smiley face on it. It was great value terror at 11.45 p.m., I think forgiveness might be really difficult because instead of seeing the person that has wronged you, you see everything that they represent. And you kind of, anytime you think of them, you kind of replay the same four or five scenes just over and over in your head on loop. And it's just that little closed circuit of pain that you went through. Exactly. You see events and things and loss of dreams and hurt and suffering, you don't see them. And uh, in Lewis B. Smetta's book, The Art of Forgiving, he talks about uh, kind of the steps that go toward forgiveness. And I had never thought about this. He says the first step is to rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us. So you are not forgiving all of the hurts and all of the pain and all of the horrible scenes and every no you are forgiving another human being another flawed created human being he he puts it like this he says when we don't forgive somebody he says we shrink him to the size of what he did to us he becomes the wrong he did If he has done something truly horrible, we'll say things like he's no more than an animal or he's nothing but a cheat. But our no more thans and our nothing buts knock the humanity out of our enemy. He's no longer a fragile spirit living on the fringes of extinction. He's no longer a confusing mixture of good and evil. He is only, he is totally the sinner who did us wrong. That's not how I'd like somebody to think about me. Because they could turn that around and say the same thing about us. And the fact is, we are all created in the image of God. And as hard as it is, I think that very first step is just getting to the point where you can say, you are more than that terrible thing you did to me. So forgiveness, not just the name of an old 80s song. Easiest (laughs) thing on the planet to do, right? (laughs) Oh, so easy. I think a lot of times we mistake denial. And repression. Yeah. I'm not hurting anymore, so I've forgiven them. Yeah. We think that when we forgive, we have to forgive all of the things that happened to us. We forget that that person is actually a flawed human being. Step one is remembering that they are a person, too. And uh, step two from uh, Louis B. Smetas, which uh, sounds kind of simple, but it's not, is you let go of your right to get even. (laughs) <laughs> right? Don't tell me that. And, I, and I think I want to get even. There's this really interesting thing that goes on, and Smetis talks about it, where he says there's a difference between vengeance and justice. Yeah. And if I'm going to go take vengeance, I need to feel happy about what I've done finally, where justice is a proper moral accounting. And who among us really can 
mete out that justice as flawed human beings. Really, it's something that has to be left up to the Lord. Which is why I think as believers, we have a unique ability to forgive, that we can acknowledge the brokenness of somebody and acknowledge you did something wrong. But we can also say we have a good God who is a true judge and he can come up with justice way better than I can. Well, things have turned a little contentious here at Life 107.1 because Taylor and I started talking about chocolate chip cookies. But here's the problem. And I know this is going to be a shocker. Taylor and I disagree on the perfect chocolate chip cookie. I think they should be somewhat crispy. I love that crisp, chocolate, Mm-mm. flowery, Mm-mm. salty, little bit sweet, crunch. I love crispy chocolate chip cookies. I'm all about the chewy. Like It almost tastes kind of juicy. From from like when you you're mushing mushing it all together, yeah. There's some butter coming out in there. That's that's when you're in cookie but then heaven. You can't dip it into milk when it's like oh, that. Oh yes, it's... you can, Jen. <laughs> no, you oh, can. Oh yes, you can. All things are possible for he who believes. Chocolate chip cookies are an important part of the American uh, tapestry. I personally like my chocolate chip cookies to be a little bit crispy. And I still love her as a sister in Christ. (laughs) I prefer my chocolate chip cookies to be chewy. I want the butter to ooze out as I bite into it. Mm. Do you have thoughts on chocolate chip cookies, Lori? Uh, Yeah, chewy. I'm sorry, Jen. Chewy. chewy. So describe the perfect (laughs) chewy chocolate chip cookie to me. Maybe you'll win me over. Oh, it just... It melts in your mouth, and like Taylor said, the buttery mm-hmm. flavor. Just, oh, it just—it's just making me hungry thinking of it too. I, I need a—I need a chocolate chip cookie stat. I've been on a me very too. strict diet for over three weeks. <laughs> I would eat a chewy one, a crispy one. I'd eat one off the floor right mm. now if I could. Deep fried, not fried. <laughs> I would eat it raw. I don't blame you. I would too. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Heidi, I recently read a quote from C.S. Lewis. Mm. He said, we often look at things as interruptions in our life, but really they are actually our life. So basically what he's Mm. saying is don't look at something like COVID-19 as an interruption. It is your life. But so many of us want to fast forward to 2021 because we just want to get 2020 over. And we're thinking that this is just a pause, but it's life. It is life. And if anything has reminded us that it's not going back to normal, I think it's the the back to school plans that are coming out, right? The the sports teams that are not looking the same even into the fall. And I think I was one of those people that was holding on to hope like, okay, maybe this fall it's not going to happen. Yeah, I know. It was me too. Of course, by the school year, everything will be normal. We all keep on thinking just just a few more days, a few more weeks, and we're going to be back to normal. The reality is, is I think as we're all seeing, it's going to take a lot longer. And acceptance is the first step in making peace with that. Just facing the reality that, okay, this, and I hate the term, but this is the new normal. This is life as we know it. And uh, in Lord of the Rings, Frodo says, I wish I wasn't living in, in this time. I don't want this task. And Gandalf reminds him that no one wants to live in this time, right? And quite frankly, none of us want to be living in this time. None of us want to be sorting out what is happening. How do we handle it? How do we stay safe? How do we keep our families safe? What does education look like? What does work look like? None of us want to be living in this time, but the truth is we are. And the other piece of this is 
we might be surprised, but God is not. Mm. And so we have all been prepared for such a time as this. And as we remember that truth and remember that we can live out Christianity regardless of what society around us looks like, Mm. I think that can give us some hope. But there is grief to this. We accept it and then we grieve the loss of what we thought our days would look like. Maybe we got tired of the unending days of busyness and routine and sports and go, go, go that we had before, but we're missing that now. Yeah, we are. And that's a grief and that's a loss. And putting words to that is so important. When you come home and you're cranky and you're on the weekend and you're not going to the sports games that you thought you were and you're sitting at home and you're feeling cranky, put words to that. I'm sad that we're not doing our normal summer things. And as we grieve that and put words to that, then we can move through it. It's when we don't put words to it that we get stuck. And then we have to shift and think about what does it mean to look at the world like a child, especially a child who has not been introduced to electronics yet, right? (laughs) A child who is curious, a child who is open, a child who sees everything as an opportunity for imagination and fun. The truth is right now, kayaks have been completely sold out in the Des Moines area all summer long. Wow. Because a lot of people have decided, okay, this is a great way to be outside and socially distance, right? There's one person (laughs) in a kayak, can't get closer than, you know, a couple paddle legs, right? It works. And I think if we all can slow down, take that mindset, collaborate with our family and say, okay, wait a minute, what does it look like to be creative? What can we be curious about? What are new things we can try? It can open up a whole new world of possibilities. So approach all this as a child, be curious and creative. But I'll tell you, as an extrovert, I am craving connections that I'm not getting right now. I hear (laughs) you. We are both extroverts. Yes. I'm seeing you right now. Normally, you and I would be standing face to face doing this right now. And afterwards, we would hug and catch up. Now it's virtual. I can't tell you that I like it, Heidi. I don't like it. I do not like it either. And that's part of that accepting and that grief piece. We have to fight to find connections. And I don't know what that looks like. Some friends and I were going um, paddle boarding together. We will be socially distanced on our paddle boards. Oh, um, That's cool. You know, and that was one of our solutions to being together, making memories and still being appropriate. Even during COVID. We've never done that before. It's a new thing for us. We've had to think outside the box. We're not comfortable going to our favorite restaurant and sitting down with six of us all together eating sushi as much as we would like to. So this is our solution to do something a little bit different and still stay connected to each other. Arguably, chocolate chip cookies are the most comforting food in the world. I think I could agree with you on that. Thank you. Isn't that nice? There we go. There's there's some common ground. I know there are people, one of them happens to be one of my best friends that don't like chocolate. I think you're aliens. I love you anyway, but I think there's something wrong. We welcome you to our planet. I love chocolate chip cookies. I have yet to perfect them myself. Every once in a while, I come up with a batch of chocolate chip cookies and I think to myself, these are the best ones I've ever made. (laughs) But I I can never recreate it. I don't know if I hold my nose the wrong way or if I, I mean, I don't know what it is. Chocolate chip cookies to me, the perfect one are very elusive. But there was a day. Have you ever heard of Ferrell's? I, I, I yeah, was like, doing it's really intense ex- workout extreme program. Extreme body shaping. Yeah. I did that many, many years ago. And you're on a strict diet. But one day a week, you get a cheat day. So I was, I was looking forward to this Saturday because it was a cheat day. And I knew what I was going to do. I got up 
and I started making chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. And I made, I made like three batches of chocolate oh, chip yeah. cookies. The kids came into the room and they're like, Mama, what's for lunch today? And I said, kiddos, we're eating chocolate chip cookies for lunch because Mama's on cheat day. Yes! <laughs> Tell me how you feel when you walk into a kitchen where somebody, maybe your mom, maybe your wife, maybe your sister, or maybe your dad, I don't care who, Somebody has just made a batch of fresh chocolate chip cookies. Mm. Is there is there any more supreme moment of pleasure? It's so happy. Than hearing, yes, they're for you, and you can grab one, and you can bite into it. And if it's me, the perfect one is a little crispy. I like them a little bit flatter, a little bit crispier. And I like them to be chewy as all get out. I want to be able to bend and make both ends touch before the middle of that cookie cracks. <laughs> what do you think, Steve? I don't understand this conversation. I, I hear crispy and I hear chewy, but then I hear chocolate chip cookies, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right. You don't really discriminate here. I, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm very non-judgmental <laughs> when it comes to my chocolate chip cookies. I am an accepting loving soul. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if you had to choose, like if, if there were two cookies in front of you, one was crispy, one was chewy, and they said you can only have one, what would you do? I would punch somebody and still both and run. <laughs> I'm also a big guy. I'm, I'm like six foot three, 300 pounds, broad in the shoulders. People don't tell me I can't have a cookie. <laughs> Things that we used to take for granted are now shrouded in uncertainty like the beginning of school. We st- we still don't know what's going to happen, how our kids are going to go back to school, when they're going to go back to school, what it's going to look like. And it is causing a lot of anxiety, not just for us, but for the kids too. Especially if you are letting go of kids going off to college or somehow leaving the house in this time. There is a lot of stress on you. And we talked to our friend Jean Holthouse just about the anxiety that comes with this and how to deal with it. And she had some really interesting thoughts on what your child is probably feeling right now. They are just as scared and anxious as you are probably. Now, are they going to show you that? Half of them aren't going to, and half of them are going to be living so anxious that you're not sure they're going to get out of the house. Hmm. But a lot of them are going to be pretending they're fine, because if they don't pretend they're fine, they're pretty sure they're not going to leave. And so they may not look as anxious as they really are. Wow. Remember that, too. And I think it manifests itself in ways that we wouldn't expect. The anxiety comes out sideways sometimes. Yeah. And one of the major ways it comes out sideways for children that are leaving home is in anger. Because it's a way to distance you from them. And it's a way to kind of protect that anxiety so that you can't see it. I started one of the biggest fights with my mother. I don't know how she forgave me for this, honestly, when I was going to college because I couldn't figure out how to say goodbye to her. I was anxious. I was scared I wasn't going to be able to do it. I was worried. And I didn't know how to say goodbye. So I started a fight instead. Because it put distance between the two of us. Now, I didn't consciously think that through and do it on purpose, but looking back, it's what I did. So we noticed that teenagers, as they get ready to leave home, they get surly with us. And partly that's because they're worried and anxious. And we just kind of have to know that. Now, we are speaking in specific about teenagers that are going off to college, but Mm -hmm. I think this applies to all children, probably adults too. When they get anxious and stressed, don't know how to say goodbye, don't know how to filter these feelings of uncertainty and fear about this next step, 
they often get, as our friend Jean Holthaus says, surly. They get angry. And as a parent, it can be really difficult to label that and then know how to deal with it. It's helpful to know that, okay, this is just like anxiety yep. coming out in the wrong direction. But Jean Holthaus gave us some advice on what do you do once you're able to identify it? I think it's important to start by remembering that anger is always a second emotion. We're always feeling something else first. So there's always something else under there. If the anger is causing them to behave in a way that's inappropriate, they're violating rules with their anger, then you have to actually discipline that at that point. You set the limits that would normally be in your home because you can't have someone punching walls and doing things that are unhealthy in your home. But if it's not, and they're just irritable and kind of surly with you looking at reminding yourself, there's something else under there and kind of looking for what it is. And sometimes you can even label it. Sounds like you're feeling really worried or something like that, that helps to give language to it. And oftentimes they can, either they deny it, in which case, okay, now they got to kind of knock it off, or it gives them permission to label it. They don't really have words for it yet. Mm. Sounds like this is really worrisome to you, or sounds like you're struggling with some of these things can kind of be a way to start a conversation with them. I was not 18 when I finally learned that just because I'm angry, it doesn't mean that it's the person in front of me's fault. That is hard to Wait, learn. What? It feels like it is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when I finally learned I could be angry at something besides a human, it was so relieving. This is not the college experience that our children expected to have either. No. So there's a level of anger they're going to have about the fact this isn't the reality they wanted when they went to college. They didn't have the reality they wanted wanted to end high school and now they're starting college and it's still not right. Mm. And so we're all edgy about those things. We were talking about the life hack of putting an empty box in the bottom of your closet and, you know, using it to kind of clean things out when you yeah. pull them out and realize I don't want to wear this or I don't think this fits me, throwing your stuff down in that uh, empty box and then at the end of the month just donating it. You get extra closet Great space. way to clear it out. And you asked me, well, how much more closet space do you need? And I had to make an admission to you. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's I, safe. You can <laughs> confess. You can say it. I, I, I like clothes. I have my clothes in more than one closet. Yeah. Yeah. How many oh, more than one no, closet? Don't ask me that question. Oh, okay. First of all, my house is old and the closets are itty bitty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It used to be that, you know, women only had like five dresses. <laughs> I, I go through five dresses in a week. But yeah, so right now I currently have clothes in four of the closets of my house. How do you feel after <laughs> after admitting that, Jen? A bit sheepish. <laughs> <laughs> They're really small closets. Okay, can I just is that is that that your justifying <laughs> point here? It is true. I need to clean out my closets because currently I have clothing in four different closets. I share some with my daughter. I share some with the coats. I need a you know a help. <laughs> And, well, I mean, you you have this little method of putting a box in your closet that you can put away clothes as you realize you're not going to wear them. Yes, I, I do. I, I just read that life hack yesterday, and I think it sounds like a fantastic idea. Ev has some advice for you in your four closets. You know what that means, Jan? You need four boxes. <laughs> <laughs> One for each closet. Right, right. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Yep. <laughs> I hate to say how many boxes I need. <laughs> 
I'm starting to wonder if this is just like a normal thing, keeping clothes in multiple closets. Well, when you've got little teeny tiny closets like I do and a lot of clothes, there's an issue. In our house, we've got our master bedroom closet, which is a small closet, and Lindsay has enough clothes that I have been relegated to the bottom right corner of the closet. (laughs) And it's also the bottom right corner where our dirty laundry hamper is. So there's like a stretch of about a foot or two that I can't hang clothes or they'll just be dangling over the dirties. And so that whole closet is all of Lindsay's stuff. But then she also has a closet in the guest bedroom where she hangs up her dresses. She well, has a closet. That's in, why you have a guest bedroom. She has a closet in the office where she hangs up her uh, her T-shirts. Wait, wait. Where are all of your clothes? In the master bedroom closet. In that one tiny in little In the section? bottom right corner. That's that's all you need. She's got two and two-thirds closet, and you get the last third. Jen, I have my six shirts that I rotate through. I don't need a lot of closet space. I'm not sure if I should feel guilty or just a little uh, sheepish about the fact that people now know that I've got clothing in four different closets. Four different closets. Now, remember, my closets are tiny. Yeah, you keep on saying that. They're tiny, so you have to use a lot of closets. What do you think, Kelly? You are not alone. And quite frankly, I think it's an awareness thing because when you first hear somebody talk about that, you're like, oh, she has a problem. (laughs) And all of a sudden you realize, guess what? You have the same problem. <laughs> How many closets are your clothes in, Kelly? Well, I don't even know if I want to divulge that information. However, <laughs> the only thing that's making me feel better about my senior that's leaving in like 12 days, he's going to college and I'm so sad. The only silver lining is that there will probably be a little bit of extra space in his closet. <laughs> Ta-da! That's all. I'm going to be crying in there with my clothes. <laughs> This has been the Taylor and Jen Podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at Life1071.com or on the Life1071 app.